I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tyler. And good morning, Vietnam. And good morning, Vietnam. I thought about shouting it out, you know, like Michael does, but uh, I thought I'd save our (laughs) listeners. We'll see if when we get to that part, if I'm willing to try and imitate it and act it out. But yeah, this this episode did give me the chance to learn a little bit about where that comes from. Oh, good. I've been trying to like Google things, and I but I was like, I bet Megan's already done the deep dive research that we need. <laughs> well, it's not that deep, but just a little, a touch of research. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm so excited that we're recording. I'm wondering if you have any any revisions or regrets from last last episode. You you know I'm always the one to regret and revise. Well, a couple of things. First of all, we were self-conscious pronouncing Sabaro, the pizza place. So yes. I looked it up just to see how is it pronounced. It is correct. Sabaro. All right. So, so we, we did not need to be embarrassed about that. We were correct. So that's one thing that's more of an update. Okay. And then the other thing was, I think I was maybe too hard on Bob Vance. I really came after him for going way too hard with the flowers and the enormous teddy bear. And I just felt like it might've been a little bit too harsh. And he seems to really love Phyllis and is very kind to her. And I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I don't know. Bob (laughs) Vance of Vance Refrigeration. He just seems... Like a tool, you know, and I, I was convinced, I actually was convinced by your argument that like, he's, you know, demonstrating his material wealth and his, you know, I don't know, I, I, you convinced me. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it does seem like he's good to Phyllis. And I, I like that because I think Phyllis, at least so far, I haven't seen Phyllis be like a bad person, really. Yeah. She's Phyllis- supportive and kind and she gets a lot of crap from Angela and Michael and everything. She does. She does. She, she deserves someone who is kind to her. And, you know, Bob Vance is just doing the thing that we tell men to do to Mm. really show their love and grand gestures. And so I think I just need to be a little bit more accepting. So that's, that's my revision of regret. Tyler, let me guess. Do you have no revisions? Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I really, I'm, I, I was saying, you know, before, like, I really need to re-listen to our episodes, like right before we record, because otherwise it is all just a blur to me. Um, but maybe that's for the best, you know? Maybe that is for the best. Maybe you need part of your life where you have no regrets and no revision, you know? It's rich. It's truly the only, the only part of my to, life. Um, you don't have to overthink it. Yeah. Uh, before well, we get into the episode, I did want to say people need to follow us on social media and we need to use social media more. So it's really our fault uh, or my fault in particular, because I, I have access to that Twitter and I am never using it. And so I'm saying it publicly here deep into season two that I am actually going to start using our Twitter account to promote. Uh, okay. You're making so, a public commitment. I yeah, like that. I'm committing. I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's going to be great, but I am going to be tweeting and uh, I promise to stick to it this time. Uh, and so our Twitter handle is office underscore HRS underscore pod. Uh, so go ahead and follow us, tweet at me, 
that will force me to use the <laughs> social media. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's office underscore hours underscore podcast. And Megan has been dutifully and, and generously posting uh, there. So, um, yeah. so she's pulling her weight. Once every two weeks. I'm doing it. Yeah. So feel free to comment on there. Things you uh, want us to talk about things that you think that we should regret and revise, particularly Tyler, since he needs some content. Yeah. Yeah. I do need content questions. I'm waiting for people to ask us questions. You know, we could give them advice. We could, you know, (laughs) or, or I want people to like, I liked the boat information we got, you know, the boat update. Yes. We did. And actually I should, I should follow up that Nick has again responded and shared a resource about all of the parts of a yacht in particular, I think. So, so we really have material to consult now whenever we want to find out more information about the layout of a boat. Do you think there will be more boating in this show? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think there will be good. a lake-based episode oh, okay. at some point. I don't think we're leaving water completely, but I don't think boats will be a central feature. But, you know, we're always going to be going back to the Lackawanna Princess. That is what that boat was called. It feels so. like that ended up being a more definitive episode. for. It's interesting to me, the episodes we keep coming back to. We come back to <laughs> the, the booze cruise. We come back to Diversity Day. Uh, I feel like we're going to be coming back to boys and girls more. Oh, yes. There's a lot there. I feel like yeah. um, in my mind, the Christmas episode comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I think about that one. Um, the so, iPod. The iPod, I think. About oh, that. yeah, the iPod. Yeah. So to transition then, Tyler, how do you feel like this episode kind of stacks up in your world of episodes? Okay, so as has been previously established, I have seen, you know, much of or some of i don't know some portion of the office right um but all of it i don't i do not remember uh except in small like hallucinations and and glimpses and uh but the one thing i do remember always (laughs) is dwight's speech and so when uh you told me and reminded me that like that's the episode we were doing i was so excited uh because you know i mean we'll get into it but just the whole um him giving a speech composed of like Mussolini quotes primarily and then all of the salespeople like getting amped up by it (laughs) is so funny and smart to me and like I it just really like has always stuck with me and it and I think about it a lot when Mm. I see political speeches I think about Dwight's speech when I hear you know, um, really? speeches at my university. I think about Dwight's oh. speech. Like I, <laughs> I actually think about this moment of public speaking quite a bit. So I'm excited to um to discuss it. What about you? Where does this rank wow. in, your, in your, you know, because you're our historian of the office. <laughs> you know, when we texted about it and you said, oh, yay, good one. I withheld my own commentary. <gasps> I do not love this episode. This is one of my least favorites. And so I was really hoping. I am shocked. Are you really? Yes. (laughs) Over the course of time, I think we might be able to figure out what's a Megan episode and what's a Tyler episode. Oh, that would be fascinating. Distinguishes them. (laughs) Um, Gosh. Yeah. It's just, I. Interesting. I don't know. I don't love this one. I struggle with a little bit, but 
my hope is that this will be kind of like the carpet where you come in being like, ah, I might hate it and then leave loving it. So I think that that's very possible when I'm talking to you. What is, uh, wait, like when you say you don't love it, is it in the bottom of the whole series for you? Like, or is it, it's a forgettable episode? Like how much do you dislike it? Like, do you hate it in the way that I, there was some episode we did where I, I came in real hot. About I think that was the carpet. Probably, yeah. And then you like made me think it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hate it. <laughs> okay. It's hard, so it's hard to stack in terms of the show as a whole because I I, once Michael <laughs> leaves, later seasons, things change. And so I can't I can't stack it with the season of, or with the show as a whole. But I'd say of the episodes we've done so far, this is my least favorite. Wow. Oh my yeah. God, this is such, this is an exciting turn of events. This is an reasons. exciting turn. I am sad and and concerned that you withheld your feelings from me over text message. However, well. you did it for the good of the show. Because this <laughs> is- did it for the good of the show. I, I am like, the, the listeners are hearing my genuine shock. Yes. Confusion, desperation. And it's a nice twist because at least we, we started out the podcast, me- claiming to hate the show yeah <laughs> every episode I'm like oh actually I guess I really like this show so <laughs> so this brings us back to format just in a different way yeah it does and yeah so I I, I don't withhold many emotions from you on text <laughs> message but this one I did and you're right doing it for the show what so, other secrets are you keeping we'll see no only <laughs> only things that have to come out on the office all right fair enough <laughs> I think I think you and I go deep on the texts. So. That's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, All right. Should we dive in? Let's dive in. All right. So this is season two, episode 17, Dwight's speech. A nervous Dwight takes dubious tips from Michael and Jim in preparation for a keynote speech as salesman of the year. Where do you want to start? Well, I think we could kind of follow the summary and start from those tips that he receives, but maybe because it's completely disconnected, we just start with the opening and then jump into the speech narrative. Yeah, let's talk about that opening bit. And and whenever you want to reveal why you hate this episode, I'm I'm like here for okay. it. Um, I think I might need over the course of it to figure out why part of this is a process of personal analysis as well as textual analysis. So <laughs> We'll see as that comes out. Uh, but so this very beginning, Michael is throwing a football around the office. And I thought the thing I thought was interesting about this is that it's basically kind of a thought exercise, you might say. So right. he is, it, it jumps in and we don't actually know what he's talking about, but he's saying, let's think this through. If we ask corporate for that, then... Dwight says they are either going to say yes or no. And then Michael says could go either way. So we don't know what they're talking about, but he kind of describes himself being cooped up in his office and he needs to come out and he needs to have an active think. And so this is what he's doing. Yeah, he says uh, we have to, you know why? Because I don't like to be cooped up in that office, in that box (laughs) all day long. (laughs) Uh, which kind of reminded me actually of the carpet, or I think that that's the episode where he talks oh, yeah. about like, preferring yes. to be in the, in the, whatever you call, it. I don't know what, there's gotta be an official name for 
like yeah. the cubicle area, but there are no cubes here really. So whatever among the, among the masses. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the football thing that, I mean, I wouldn't say this is like top tier cold open for me, but mm-hmm. I certainly laughed uh, with the cut where it's when he's going to throw it to Pam. And yeah. I had the, the <laughs> thinking, I thought it was a good visual joke. They keep cutting to Pam, but nobody's mm-hmm. throwing it to her and she's annoyed and disaffected um and so he looks like he's gonna launch it at her face um, <laughs> he does which uh made me laugh because we don't get to see the fallout of that but also i felt like this was classic michael scott characterization where it's like mm-hmm. he loves to be um you know uh i don't know the cool guy or something like that yeah and, and when they keep they take his ball away he becomes like a little child and then when <laughs> Um, Dwight gets it he goes way overboard and like Michael Michael neither wants to be like the the uh yeah the person who can't retain the ball or the overzealous person either and anyway so I felt like his characterization here was like pretty good um and yeah. the, the this the speed with which Ryan is tackled uh, <laughs> it gets seriously aggressive well my first question for you on this is did you think it was hot, Michael, with the football? Because you have revealed that you really liked it, you know, when he unbuckled, unbuttoned the top of his shirt, showed a little chest. I did. What did you think about this particular display of masculinity in the office? Hot Uh, or not? I don't think Michael's hot in this episode. (laughs) Uh, And I definitely, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was interesting that Jim is like, truly annoyed by this because we've established that he's somewhat athletic with basketball mm-hmm. um but uh yeah uh, no I, I i i found this a big turnoff and uh and would also be if i was there i would just be terrified that anybody would throw the ball to me you oh, know yeah i was at a party or a not a party it was like a little dinner party the other night and somebody brought a child who walked into the party and said mm-hmm. i'm five which I thought was the coolest thing. I was like, I wish I had that level of confidence to just walk into the room and be like, hi, I have a podcast or whatever, you know? Um, But anyway, uh, but so this, we're standing in like the backyard or whatever. And this child like throws a ball like towards us and it lands closest to me. And my heart palpitated and I was like trying to look away so nobody would expect that I throw this ball back, even though mm-hmm. I should have, you know, and what's really, it's totally done that move. Oh, but just the shame and see, but I picture, I, I sort of, my fantasy of you is as a sporty person. Is that That's my a- fantasy of myself. Too. <laughs> I picture myself being able to throw excuse the sexism of this phrase but i i picture myself internally being able to throw like a man (laughs) (laughs) then when i actually pick up a ball and throw it's extremely disappointing so i totally know what you mean about ignoring the ball that sort of rolls over to you like you're just those situations where there's maybe a kid in the street and you're walking by and the ball gets across the street and is by you please kid no i can't if they say little help, that's like my nightmare. No. Oh, no, no, no <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's yeah. that's rough. that's the worst. But I do love when Michael does that little pose and with his arms and he says Heisman, yeah. which is kind of football trophy. 
Yeah. I don't yeah. know why. I just, yeah. I found that part, that moment really endearing. But things get wild quick. When Dwight gets involved, Dwight gets, he takes this really seriously. He tackles Ryan. He grabs the ball and he starts running and he knocks Creed over and then he knocks over Stanley. And for Stanley, it is one of those long falls where he's like (laughs) kind of backing up. Like the distance that he covers with that fall was really something to see. Yeah, this I'm starting to realize maybe I like this episode because it's a Dwight episode and yeah it is a Dwight episode and I unfortunately have become a Dwight stan and I uh (laughs) uh and and yeah and so it's very funny to me when he misreads social situations and (laughs) overly overly um I don't know you know he gets too aggressive Um, yeah you're right okay so this so this is how the opening then really does fit in is Dwight getting way too aggressive and to the team like I thought it was really revealing Michael brings everybody into the conference room and uh wants them to practice public speaking and Dwight is basically like but they're my subordinates so I'm not nervous and Jim's like no we're not and he's like yeah you are and it's like well you know actually assistant to the regional manager is mostly made up you know so I thought I was like oh right Michael and Dwight are on the same team quote unquote in the beginning uh-huh. and that's how Dwight sees himself not as on the team with the workers uh, although yeah. by the end of the episode he will rally the working classes yes I know he sort starts with, starts with Mussolini and then he ends up with the workers of the world unite yeah it's a real mix <laughs> yeah. um, so should we talk about the advice that Dwight gets from Michael and or Jim yeah, definitely. Yeah, let's start with Michael because Michael has won this award twice before. Um, yes. I was curious about that. I was wondering whether you had a theory on why they switched from the plaque to the certificate. Um, I think know. it's just a general trend toward cheapness. Okay, that makes sense. I, th- I think it was a complete cost-cutting maneuver. And are we to think, this was another big question I had, that like it is important to the discussion of the advice that Michael gives. Are we to think that Michael's speeches at those times, were they successful? Like, I know he's telling us they're successful, but this time I was like, well, did he bomb like he bombs in front of, you know, when he takes over for Dwight? I, I just was kind of curious. Yeah. Do you have a sense of what we're supposed to understand there? That's a great question. I. I don't know. I, I think that this is one of those kind of gaps in the story where we can't really know, but I, I feel, I would like to believe that his speeches were successful. And here's a way that I think you can reconcile him bombing before this crowd, but doing well before is that things have changed since he did it. And you know, when they walk into the room, it's in this massive hotel. Mm-hmm. What, what do you call that? Like the ball ballroom of a hotel, right? Is that what that's called? Those big rooms? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, so they go in and it is a huge crowd of people. First of all, here, just have to point out that as they turn the lights go down and they're playing those jock jams. Yes. Songs, like the, y'all ready for this song? I had that CD. Oh, yeah. Um, so I feel like he is kind of thrown off and maybe his sort of folksy comedic vibe worked better before. And 
maybe in the late 90s, his jokes about salesmen and saleswomen yeah. were too. I think that was kind of his time. That's right. I, I like this reading because it definitely felt to me, it was more interesting to read him as like a has-been rather than a never was or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> You know, like yeah, a has been rather than like a liar, you know, or yes. I mean, we know that he's delusional, but that's a really interesting reading that like actually no, there was a context in which these jokes worked, but that yeah. is now gone. And that <laughs> makes it even more interesting to me why whites works. Um yes. but yeah, so uh one of my favorite jokes is um let's see, uh Michael is telling Dwight that it's like important um, and uh, Dwight starts to get nervous, which is really, I think, maybe the first time we've seen Dwight this insecure. Although we saw him on the Valentine's Day episode, like uncertain of what to do and going to Pam. But this is like genuine panic. And he says, I can't do this. And I just love Michael's line. That's because you're incapable of doing it because you don't know how, because you have no skills. (laughs) Dwight, there's no way I could possibly teach you what you need to know about public speaking by speech time, but I can teach you enough so that you don't embarrass me or the company. Um, And if you have a question, you should ask me. I'll try and think of one. Don't. Don't try and think of a question to humor me. Just try not to be an idiot. Is that an insult or is that part of the public speaking advice? Insult. I love this, but I especially love his saying you're incapable of doing it because you don't know how, because you have no skills. And I really want to say that sometime when I'm teaching, like, <laughs> but I feel like that, that would be a bad idea. That would be bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. So there's <laughs> a, a later... of Come on. That's funny. <laughs> there's... I want to use that line too. There... Here's how <laughs> I think you might be able to get away with it. There is an episode in a much later season when Michael has a quote up on the wall and it's a Wayne Gretzky quote and it's, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And he has, it's, it's referenced. So it says underneath Wayne Gretzky, but then that whole thing is in quotes and it says Michael Scott. So I think that you could do a similar thing and put that on your wall as a bit of inspirational advice. Uh, yeah, it's just because you're incapable of doing it because you don't know how, because you have no skills. But Dwight has already said that, which I find so endearing in a way, where it's like, yeah, I don't know how. And uh, yeah. definitely, this is definitely a scene for thinking about what kind of mentor Michael is. <laughs> because Dwight is his right-hand man. Like, Dwight is the guy that he is, um, you know, kind of giving some responsibility who he is uh, mentoring in some way. But he, we certainly see some interesting things about his approach here. Can um, we talk about Michael's closet though? Yeah. Okay. So my favorite part of the episode is when Michael goes in to display his certificates that he's won. And I actually paused the TV so I could take a picture and we could kind of examine Ooh, um, what's going on here. I should actually just probably send this to you so that you can get a nice close Are you look texting it to me but basically michael goes into he's so he, this is where he's telling the camera about how he's won the awards in the past 
and he goes into the cabinet, I guess that's in, not really closet, it's a cabinet that's in his office. Mm-hmm. And he takes out the plaques from the past. So he's got the one that was the nicely, you know, the nice like plaque on a piece of wood. Then he's got the one that's a certificate. So these are from 1996, I believe, in 1997. One of the things that really struck me here is that he has on his wall a certificate of authenticity for owning a Seiko watch. Yes, I saw that. He has actual awards. So what we find out here is he has actual awards that could be up on the wall, but instead he keeps them in a safe. Because they're not only in the cabinet, they're in the cabinet in a safe. Oh, I did not even register that. That's so funny. (laughs) Behind him, then not in the safe, but separately in the cabinet, there are a couple of other awards. One of them appears to be um, something in recognition for years of service. The other one says county. Some Some of these are blocked. So it seems like that's some kind of county based award for Lackawanna County. Um, he also has a bottle of Pepto-Bismol, a deodorant that appears to be, um, Old Spice mm-hmm. and what I believe is a can of coffee. So, you know, he's got oh, some, some supplies I, there. I thought what that was you, Pringles. Oh, maybe it is Pringles, but it oh, looks a little wide. I think no, you're right. you're right. But the Pepto-Bismol, how big is that Pepto-Bismol? It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> it's what is next to the, uh, coffee can? Any idea what that is? They look kind of like folded towels or something. Oh, that's what they are. You're right. You're right. Is that right? I actually think I need um, either a more high def TV or a higher quality camera so that I can really zoom in and like get the fine detail there. I need to start. I'm going to start taking screenshots so that we can (laughs) more visual analysis. I'm really enjoying this because I did register the Pepto-Bismol. I saw that. I thought that was funny. I didn't catch any of this. Oh, and Jam is on the door. Jan is on the door staff newsletter and it says, and it's framed and it says Jan Gould promoted. So that, that came long before he kind of dated Jan or had whatever his thing, as he says, hooked up with Jan. So I don't know. I thought there was something kind of lovely about the fact that he was celebrating her promotion and her success before because he had to save this newsletter. That's true. That's true. I will also point out that this is actually not in the picture I sent you, but the other thing he has in the safe is a silver, like a silver tea set, I think. <laughs> you know those, you know, where it's got like the little pitcher and these other things. It is really, really bizarre. Um, but I don't know, based on what Michael pulls out of this closet, do you have any any thoughts? <laughs> uh I wish I, I just love your point that like he could hang these on the wall, but doesn't. And yeah. I don't think I registered the safe. And so the idea that anybody would steal these is <laughs> bizarre. I did see the Seiko watch thing on the wall yeah. and it's like, okay, you know, um, but I did want to know, I actually was, I related to Michael. I'll just put, I'll put, rather than asking you, I'll just confess. Okay, related to Michael. Because he says, uh, and I quote, um, speaker at the sales convention, been there, done that, went there again, did it again, two years in a row, consecutive. And here's the key line. I just, I miss the feeling of knowing you did a good job because someone gives you proof of it. Sir, 
You're <laughs> awesome. Here's a plaque. Wait, a, what? A whole year has gone by and you need more proof? Here's a certificate. <laughs> and to be honest with you, like, you know, one of the things that I constantly feel in our job is sort of like, does any of it matter? Does anybody <laughs> care? Am I even doing a good job? Like, I don't even know, you know? And, uh, and so if I got a plaque at the end of the year, come on. That'd yeah. be nice. That'd be sweet. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> in academia, you just get more, you know, like more shame, right? Like more like, oh, why didn't you do this or whatever? Like, um, so yeah, those, that, those are my thoughts. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on the? Yeah, class? you're right. I do. I agree. That's a very, that's a very relatable line. <laughs> and there's just, oh my gosh, it's kind of heartbreaking though. And maybe it becomes even heartbreaking once we start to, more heartbreaking once we start to relate to it. But yes, <laughs> I don't know the fact that those, like they're so, so precious to him that, yeah, that he has them locked away. Right. In safe. And it's an interesting thing. So on the one hand, I feel like there's one just practical storytelling reason that they're not on the wall because they didn't come up with this until later, you know, like his office is established. Um, but I do think it's also just a really interesting choice because it shows how precious and how valuable they are. I don't know why that silver tea thing is so <laughs> valuable to him. That might be a higher ticket item. Maybe. I don't know, mm. but um, they're that precious and they're that important to have been recognized, you know, for doing something good, which then becomes maybe a little bit <laughs> funny too, if we put it in a conversation with Jim's description of the meaning of this award. Yes. yes. He's talking about Dwight's, but of course this also applies to Michael when Jim says, it is literally the highest possible honor that a Northeastern Pennsylvania based mid-sized paper company regional sales manager can attain. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so that, okay. That gets to another reason why I like this episode mm -hmm. and feel. Uh, I, yeah. Like I like it. Okay. And it's this, I think that there are times when I feel as like snooty, as Jim does about like, I don't know, other industries <laughs> where people mm -hmm. like, I'm always like, I used to work at the, the, you know, basically the, the student center or whatever at the college. Right. And it was constantly, mm -hmm. we were constantly renting out the ballrooms to events like this, you know? And so I would be setting up the chairs or making sure the mics worked or whatever. And I would be like, this is so stupid. Like these people <laughs> and they're, and they're like, you know, and I think I probably even like put a little bit of Marxist, you know, vibes on it too, or it's like, uh, they're just like, you know, little cogs in this stupid machine. And this is this <laughs> reward that they give themselves, but you know, whatever. And remember that I just said, I want an award too, you know? <laughs> because watching this episode, I was like, oof. That's, that's what a lot of academia is, isn't it? Like, ooh, I got this article published in this, <laughs> this journal that like, you know, is whatever, like that only three, you know, 200 people might have access to, let alone yes. five will read, you know, I don't know. Like it's easy to get uh, high and mighty about, you know, whatever you're, you, you think is important. And then when you see some other industries version of celebrating <laughs> themselves, it's also meaningless or silly or small potatoes. I don't know. I'm torn, yes. I'm often torn between that. Like, you know, this kind of like 
hum appreciation for all human desires for recognition or whatever and a nihilistic sense that all of it is just so stupid <laughs> i'm gonna revise and regret that later anyway okay. your thoughts please, please do i so i actually thought about that too with jim's line and how you could just adapt that and kind of fill in the blanks to yeah. just reduce any of the kinds of things yeah that in like an academic world you pursue you know like it is literally the highest possible honor that a um adjunct professor at a midwestern university or like you know whatever it may be but you're yeah, right yeah. things that are a big deal are just so ridiculous in some ways even for the people who are at the top yeah you know yeah. what I mean because even like the very top are like so kind of like for Dwight outside of that little world of the northeastern Pennsylvania salesman he's not a big deal and it's I, I just yeah I found that very very relatable but also that tension between both being like this is stupid and also but please give me an award please please award me please please <laughs> yes um, Please recognize me with the highest possible honor for yeah, for a regional state university in in Cortland, New York. Um, okay, now, but what would you have chosen? Because there was a sale on TiVo. There's a mm -hmm. DVD burner, uh, and that's it. I get those are his choices that we know of. And yeah. then Jim got Quagino's Pizza. Um, mm -hmm. I did have the thought that. Jim lucked out because TiVo and a DVD burner no longer really matter. <laughs> but like pizzas forever. So those are my thoughts on the prize. But but Tyler, is it? I actually so I had I, the only reason I asked is because I had the exact same thought. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, jokes on Dwight because DVDs are kind of over. Right. But you can only eat a pizza once. So he might have burned a lot of DVDs for a while and really gotten a lot out of that from, you know, 2010 to what? 2014? I don't know. Or no, 2005. What is this year? What? We get the point. We don't need the yeah, exact yeah, yeah. down. But I think he could have gotten a lot of use out of that thing. I was trying to, I was quickly Googling to see you know, because this is, it's Quagino's pizza, but I was remembering there's some later episode where I just remember the characters being like, is it pizza from this place or pizza from that place? And I guess it's Alfredo's versus pizza by Alfredo. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's going to come up later though, uh, like in season four, apparently. So we'll have to return to this, the Scranton pizza. Um, yeah scene but so uh like cugino's is the third one is a different local pizza and then you know there's sabaro so like we've got lots of lots of pizza entering the conversation so then how would you describe michael's like advice to dwight like what is his what are his public speaking like insights mm, gosh what are they and does he have any um so first of all is that they want to be entertained says right. you know like these are sales these are salesmen they want to be entertained and so that's where he's suggesting the jokes i think his joke is horrible but i also think that he's not wrong that building up some rapport and using a little bit of humor at the beginning can be a really good way to engage people and get them in so on the flip side i think his advice in that way is not horrible 
Um, one other bit of advice he gives is he says, it doesn't matter what you say. It just matters you're saying something people care about. <laughs> and I'm not sure what to make of that. <laughs> well, it certainly sets up my <laughs> favorite bit. Uh, maybe in this episode where he walks out and he's like, everybody's getting a raise. And Stanley's like, get the wallpaper. You can wipe it from the ceiling. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then um, <laughs> he says, in that moment I had them and uh and so uh, you know he sends Dwight out and Dwight like has to basically say you know you're not getting racist but also there's been a car accident and Brad Pitt's involved in all of this <laughs> I don't I know love- it makes me laugh so much but the idea that what you're saying doesn't matter <laughs> But I do think, I don't know, it's making me think a lot about like the content versus the form debate. You know? <laughs> and and uh, it reveals that content and form have an intimate relationship. You know what? I'm wondering <laughs> his point. It doesn't matter what you say. It just matters you're saying something people care about. Does If the show kind of tests that out as a theory in this episode, does it turn out to be true or does it suggest that it is true? Because... What Dwight is saying in his speech is insane. <laughs> so he's what not saying something they like care about. Only, only blood can turn the wheels of history and, you know, just about the kind of greatness of the workers coming together and fighting in a war. And what he's saying is outrageous but i guess he's saying something they care about oh you're talking about in the actual speech oh yeah his actual speech i'm if you're ready to go there i'm ready to go there because i actually i agree with you i think he is saying what (laughs) they care about and i think i think it's very interesting why it appeals but it's so interesting that he learned i mean arguably learns earlier in the episode that like saying random crap is not gonna help you um so yeah you're right maybe it is about you know partly what what you say and not just how he says it. But I also was unclear whether, like why he also slips in, also there are no bonuses. Like, <laughs> you know, like was, was, I wondered if like Michael was like, you know, there was a cut line where it's like, you have to go out there and clean this up for me or something like that, you know? Did he not say that? I don't know why. I think I just imagined that into it. Yeah, that that was kind of it that he had to undo, but I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I did feel like Dwight had a real strategy going there where he kind of just buried the lead and, you know, mucked it up with a whole bunch of other bad news, like about this terrible car accident and then the company shutting down. So he makes it all confusing and about all kinds of other things. Right. I love when, is it Stanley who asks, um, what does the accident have to do? What does that have to do with our bonuses? And he says right. they are unrelated. <laughs> yeah there's something interesting too where it's like he what Dwight basically gives an announcement I guess both of them are announcements really like yeah they're they're not right speeches they're just like <laughs> these these are things that are happening whereas the speech I suppose should be informing or persuading or <laughs> I'm trying to remember like intro to public speaking or whatever but Jim does because Jim claims that he majored in it. And what they teach you is be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought this was a very interesting moment because 
Jim is trying to prank and troll, but Mm -hmm. he actually is giving him good advice, which is like, be true to yourself. Don't try to use somebody else's style or mode. And then he sees Dwight and he's like, actually, you're an authoritarian. So (laughs) go with that. Go with that. Um, uh, And and you got to wave your arms around. You got to pound your fists many times. Uh, And I got to tell you, I looked up some Mussolini uh, footage uh-huh. And Dwight is like recreating it precisely. Um, really? Yeah, he's doing a very good job. So, oh, you you gotta send me the the videos that you got because I only watched one Mussolini speech, and in it he was not waving his arms. Ooh. He didn't he didn't have a like the lectern the same way. I don't know that he had quite the fist pounding place. So I I didn't dive deeply enough on that. But wow, I love it that you've got some information on that. One other just side thing about this announcement slash speech. The fact that when I think it's Pam who asks, was there was there anyone we knew in this car massive car accident he's talking about? Is there anyone we know? And the fact that Dwight goes to Brad Pitt is just <laughs> So odd and so funny. Definitely a person everyone knows, probably not a person getting into a car wreck around Scranton. Not someone they know who's actually kind of in the circle of their lives, like Ed Truck or Todd Packer. It just was such a funny reference. And then I loved how Kelly said, this is karma because of what he did to Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And how do you feel? Do you believe that Brad Pitt deserved to be punished for what he did for Jennifer Aniston? Oh, this feels like a very hot button. <laughs> yeah, sorry. This I should have warned you ahead of time. Uh, you know, as much I as I give my, I I don't mean to don't mean to put you on the spot here. Well, I'll just I say that like I don't actually know. I mean, I'm not above following all kinds of um, celebrity news and gossip. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm here for it. But I actually don't remember the story there. Like, what is it that were they married? What did what did he do? What's Tyler? <laughs> this is a great question, and it's making me realize the fact that I have feelings about this is based in absolutely nothing <laughs> except how attractive Jennifer Aniston is, <laughs> and I just like her and. Um, it was something with the leaving her for Angelina Jolie. And I feel like there was maybe some overlap. Like, I think he cheated on her with, but were they married? Maybe. I can't remember. I really, I really actually turns out should have done research on this, but I just, I just felt like it was, you know, it gave us a little bit, a little bit of knowledge about Kelly. Like we got to know her a little bit more and what she sees as the high stakes in, you know, a Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston relationship oh i love that point i'm you know for our revisions and regrets i'm gonna go read up on this and form an opinion so that i have something to say i need content so um i'm making i'm actually writing down a note so that i can follow up with you about that good 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 (laughs) hold me me accountable hold me accountable. i'm going to hold you accountable so let's talk about the speech speech. yeah i'm so ready for that okay so you love this episode. This you said you think about this yes. when you are at your school, and I don't know. The president of the college is giving his opening speech, or whatever it may be. Like, tell tell me about how this shows up in your life. Okay, so first, it wasn't until we started talking about it that I realized there's some nice writing here because Michael prepares the room 
the employees for Dwight. And then that's mirrored here where he goes up in Dwight's stead. And then he's like, that's a tough crowd. Um, so what worked before doesn't work now, you know, it's kind of a nice reversal, but um, the reason I think about this all the time is because I think about how um, uh, people are primed for fascism. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that, you know, and that like, if you, if, if it sounds good, we might not like listen to the content, you know, very closely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that's part of what is being um, satirized here. And I, and I guess I think about that first um, about the kind of like, you know, content versus form, the performative nature of what he's doing is so um, convincing and, and endearing or whatever to them, charismatic to them that it, they're not really thinking about what, what it means, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, so there's that. On the other hand, I like to think that they are thinking about what it means and it really exposes in some sense, the like sort of inherent fascism, the inherent relationship between fascism and capitalism or between being a salesperson um, and, uh, and yeah. And this kind of, you know, um, authoritarian uh, vibe. Um, so he says, blood alone moves the wheels of history. Have you, have you ever asked yourselves in an hour of meditation, which everyone finds during the day, how long we have been striving for greatness? Um, and what I love there too is like, you can, like, I, I feel like we've seen corporate, um, you know, discourses and rhetorics, like repurpose radical um, political discourses all the time. In this case, it's repurposing like a reactionary one, but either way, like there's this kind of like, you know, you'll see them put up a, I don't know, like a Malcolm X quote and like, you know, practice mindfulness or something, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no that was not, what would be, <laughs> that's not, you know, <laughs> you've missed the point entirely. But at the same time, okay, so then he says, not only the years we've been at war, the war of work, <laughs> But from the moment as a child, when we realized that the world could be conquered, it has been a lifetime struggle, a never ending fight. I say to you, and you'll understand that it is a privilege to fight. And it's like just word salad in some ways, but it is also these images of fighting and, um, and conquering and greatness and like these just yeah. rhetorical tropes of strongman fascism that are that appeal to mm -hmm. these uh salespeople of of mid-east or re regional scranton pennsylvania um uh -huh. we are warriors <laughs> and uh um anyway yeah so I, I i find that really like that's the thing that i think about is like how easily we all can i mean like this feels prescient now but like how easily Americans can be like turned towards fascism and how um, the aesthetics of a lot of political speech giving are fascist in hmm. nature. Um, and, and then finally, yeah, like how a certain kind of personality who's into sales and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or whatever wants to describe themselves as a fighter, as a warrior, you know, and then I guess that brings back the kind of pathetic nature of it all. It's like, what are you really doing? Like you sold paper in this region, you know, to, to the, to the, um, 
you know, to the library or something like that, you know, but like you need to narrate yourself as this epic warrior so that you can feel good about how actually you're just like a, you know, a low level <laughs> middle manager, you know what I mean? You're not even management. Um, so, uh, but of course he kind of mixes discourses. Uh, uh, so, you know, um, he kind of moves towards Marxism at the end, right? Like, uh, anyway. Oh, and yeah. uh, that was my question. I was like, did Jim edit the speech for him? Because he says, some people will tell you salesman is a bad word. They'll conjure up images of used car dealers and door-to-door -door charlatans. This is our duty to change their perception. I say salesmen and women of the world unite. <laughs> We must never acquiesce for it is together, together with that we will prevail. <laughs> we must never cede control of the motherland. I was trying to find like, like transcripts of Mussolini's speeches to figure out how much of it is him and how much is other stuff and Jim. But anyway, that's the, my basic why I think of it all the time and why I think it's funny. What are you, have I, I you? where are you at? I found, well, I don't know that you convinced me to like the episode. <laughs> But you have definitely convinced me that there is a lot interesting going on here about speech. And gosh, there was a point you made I wanted to go back to about like the kind of, I just know more what you, what you mean about the, the fascist style. Like what is a fascist style of speech? Like what are some, I don't know, like what are characteristics of that that give this language that vibe? And I guess that like make it translatable to these different contexts. I think part of it is the us versus them, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, demagoguery, you know, kind of, and the, um, yeah, like the, the, and the, um, well, and certainly the like blood and soil language, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we have a motherland we must preserve, um, yes. you know, from some, you know, someone else, uh, um, and that, yeah, that kind of desire for mastery, conquering, destruction, fighting, those kinds of uh, rhetorical moves, I guess. But also just the shouting, the, the idea that like what we need is a literally like a strong man who will provide, who will get, create order um, yes. and, 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 and <laughs> in, whom, in whom we can only he can deliver that to us. I mean, I guess that's kind of where he's mixing communism and fascism together, right? Where he's like saying together will prevail, but it's like together in the image of this authoritarian. I mean, that was the other thing. It's like, Jim is correct that Dwight is like, uh, like almost a Nazi. I mean, I think, haven't we even heard that he has like Nazi, um, <laughs> relatives or whatever that fought for like the germans in the in world war ii yes. or something like that so yes. i felt like His they were grandfather really... was an in an allied prisoner of war camp <laughs> yeah yeah and so i was like oh right like he is he wants to be the manager he is this little little micro authoritarian in his mind yeah. and he wants to be in charge and he wants to he wants people to follow the rules regardless of any no dissent um yeah and yeah. yeah and I think uh that's also why Angela is in him if this show were done today Dwight would be like alt-right I, I think an Angela like a Christian you know nationalist or something which is hilarious the way that you began the episode talking about how you love you're a Dwight stan okay all right well uh... 
Just to be clear. <laughs> I think I think he's a really funny character and an interesting yes. performance. But yeah, I don't just to be clear, I don't, I do not endorse. <laughs> but that's the other thing. Dwight is an idiot and he doesn't understand what he's saying. Like that's yes. also funny. Like he's reading the yes. words that Jim has cut and paste. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> And I think about that all the time. Politicians are all, it's never their own words, right? It's always some speechwriter's words trying to project what they think an audience wants to hear. And so this bizarre feedback loop of mirroring. Yeah. uh, And it works. The audience is like lapping it up. They want to be told they're warriors uh, for the motherland of Pennsylvania. What? I was going to ask, what is their motherland? (laughs) (laughs) Dunder yeah, in this case, right, so rather than it being, like, complete loyalty to Italy or something, it's, like, complete yeah, loyalty and devotion to Dunder Mifflin. It is interesting. Okay, so I, you, you, are, you are helping me to see some merits here, and it is really interesting how much those kinds of lines, though, might come from a specific political movement and specifically from Mussolini, and yet at the same time, though like it's so generic in some ways yes. and so yes. easily movable to very different causes, you know, whether it's like on the right or on the left, or whether it's for corporate America or it's like to get, you know, rally behind your university or whatever it right. might be. Right. Um, like how long have we been striving for greatness? the idea that we can conquer you know like it's a lifetime struggle it's a never-ending fight and it's a privilege to fight it's a privilege to sacrifice on behalf of this greater cause I feel like yeah you're like there's a lot of flexibility there right in terms of what it means because Dwight isn't actually saying anything he is you're right that he's they want to be warriors and it feels good to be a warrior but He's not saying anything about what their causes or what they're fighting for. Right, right, right. Yes, I guess the only thing in there that they're fighting for is that salesmen are not a bad thing. So maybe there's that sense of kind of grievance, like there's this bad image of salesmen. And so together we will prevail against that. But I don't really know what your motherland is and I don't really know what you're fighting for. Right. And I like, I mean, they are perplexed as well at the beginning and, um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's like a kind of cynical view of of the masses being swept up by yeah. just nonsense. It's yeah. interesting they're not swept up by Michael's nonsense. And, yeah. and I think that part of, it's interesting. Like on the one hand, Dwight is, you know, invoking kind of fascism. On the other hand, he is presenting it in a way that is like, we are all together. This is not about me not celebrating me it's like it's us you know this is an award for all of us right um whereas michael like he just wants to make them laugh um but it is in some sense about him right like his narcissism uh is like he wants to be the funniest person in the room i was kind of curious how okay so if ironically both of them are hearkening to war moments so for Dwight, it is um, World War II, Italian, you know, fascism. For Michael, it's Vietnam. And it's this movie, Good Morning Vietnam, which I have not seen. And I've just been trying to read the Wikipedia page. But my impression is, um, you know, that that his jokes or whatever are a kind of 
you know, uh, pushing back to military authoritarianism or not conformity, I should say, Hmm. or something like that. Um, So, yeah, I was kind of curious what, um, I don't know, did you learn anything interesting about that movie? Any connections? I feel like you're always so good with that. You know, I didn't, I, I feel like I now probably should have gone deeper into my investigation of this, but I guess you're right. So that it is Vietnam, it is war, but Robin Williams is the star of it. And so it's a comedic version of war. So I guess we have both the really serious kind of scary version. And then we have this comedic, funny, light version that's Robin Williams. And so the, um, the kind of idea behind it is that Robin Williams is a radio DJ on the armed forces radio service. Wikipedia is my source here. And he is really, really popular with the troops, but it says he infuriates his superiors with what they call his irreverent tendency. Um, so interestingly, he seems like he's kind of a man of the people in a different way where he's rallying the troops and they love him and they're enjoying it and having a good time. But, you know, the, the leaders think it's too, it's too light. It's too fun. It's too jokey. And we need to be more serious or something. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's all of that reading is based exclusively on this one sentence I read about the movie. (laughs) That kind of matches, it matches what I read. I don't, I mean, I'm sure the politics of it are complicated, but, but it does kind of, it does explain, um, why I mean well certainly you you always are pointing out that like Michael wants to be like Bob Hope and those kinds of people he idolizes these like and wasn't Bob Hope like a USO kind of comedian like a guy who oh yeah yeah with the, with the um troops and so yeah so there's got to there's something interesting to unpack here about the fact that he is he's referencing this movie we've got to I guess we got to watch this movie and come back to it but but yeah, he wants to should. be the I mean, that's his role with corporate, right? It's like that he wants, he wants, um, he would rather be liked and have people laugh and have a good time rather than be mm-hmm. serious and stayed and whatever. Of course, uh-huh. the contradiction is he presumably like Robin Williams's character or they're still perpetuating, you know, the mission <laughs> or whatever it is of the institution that they're in. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't know. It'd be interesting to watch. His other his other reference was the Police Academy movies. Yes. And Michael Winslow. Have you seen those? I have not seen those. Uh, I've seen maybe one like when I was a kid. So I, I just get the idea. You know, they're comedies and there's a guy who makes funny noises. That's all I know. Yeah. I I looked at the guy. So so I looked him up and then it made more sense. All the weird noises that Michael yes. is making yes. that are just so bizarre. So Michael Winslow is known as the man of 10,000 sound effects. And yeah. he does like beatboxing, but like to this radically elite level, he can make all of these noises really, really well. In the clip that I watched, he is sitting in the police station and he starts to make a noise wow, I have just launched into a story where I cannot remember what the noise he's making. So scratch that. But at some point, somebody walks by and he starts holding his hands like he's playing the harmonica. And it sounds like he's playing the harmonica. He's really impressive. But so Michael is just splicing together these bizarre, um, bizarre combination of 
references. And I gotta say, I felt like Michael really did a big thing for Dwight here because what? that was a tough crowd. He's right. That was a tough crowd. Okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. Wow. So Dwight was, his leg was shaking. He was freaking out. He was too scared to get, go up and give his speech. But so rather than letting him be humiliated, Michael goes up and takes the humiliation and he keeps going. So he's going to go until whenever Dwight is ready. So I guess back to the question of what kind of mentor is Michael. On the one hand, he tells Dwight that he has no skills and he can't do it. But then at the same time, he really steps up here and he goes and just kind of takes the heat and, um, you know, from teaching how hard it can be to stand in front of a bored and mildly hostile crowd and just pass the time, like it can be rough. And so I felt like this was a big, a big thing for Michael. And I think when Dwight says in his speech, um, something about, was there something about sacrifice? Or maybe that was something you said actually in this, the kind of like this, this sort of category of language. But I do feel like Michael is really making a sacrifice and taking a bullet for Dwight. Um, I'm trying to remember, we'll never acquiesce, seed control. Did I say sacrifice or did let alone? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't maybe remember. Maybe I made that up. I might have. I, it's very possible I made it up, but um, I don't know. What do you, What do you think, Tyler? What do you? Think well, I think that? that's a really interesting reading. I think part of me is like, sit down, Michael. Like he's like he's stealing the moment. Mm. You know? Um. But I like, I know, no, I like horrible moment. It's so brutal. Yeah, no, I (laughs) like this feeling how bad it is. (laughs) That's true. And I like it for that reason. I mean, I will say, I I feel as if you have not really tipped your hand yet about hating this episode. I'm not hearing where the hate is. And so we really got to unpack that. But I, I guess I feel like I like that we see Dwight so vulnerable. I do agree with you that Michael steps in. And then I think that he um, trivializes the event in a way that like maybe they want to take seriously. Like, and maybe that's also the nature of Jim's joke. You know, is it like by taking it seriously, he's like, look at how stupid all of this is. But Michael's could be read as like not taking it seriously either right like it's just a bunch of non sequitur jokes um but yeah why do you hate this tell where where do you hate because i i mean i definitely don't think it's like the best episode like the jim and pam plot snooze the thermos the thermostat joke whatever it's fine <laughs> um i'm sure tr- is there any other plot oh angela is is interested in dwight you know and we yeah. get confirmation of that um yeah, I mean, there's not a lot else going on, but I'm kind of curious what, yeah, where, where do you, what do you, what really grates on you? I think, I think I've pinned it down. I'm ready. And I think a lot of it is about the banging of fists on the <laughs> and the waving of arms. I don't know why there is something about that that makes me cringe in a way that is not fun and that is just, I don't know what it is. There's something about the fist banging parts that really unsettle me in a way that I do not enjoy. 
cringe like how I cringe when Michael does something like like kind of cringe comedy in that way where you're like, oh, like I feel bad for you, like or ashamed. I think, no, I think not in that way. Like, I irritated. <laughs> Irritated. It's just, it's so, I don't know. I don't even know what it is. There's just something about it that is very off-putting to me that kind of ruins the episode, but there are a couple of things. So there's that, there's the fist pounding. Maybe it's also some of the ways that it breaks off this form. And often we've oh. been interested in times when they go out somewhere else into yes. some other context. I think I'm really thrown off by seeing that many people on this show. And it, I actually started to wonder, is this one of the most expensive episodes that they made because of how many extras they needed? How many people were in that room? It was huge. It was so packed. So they needed all those extras. They needed all the costumes. They needed all of that stuff. But there was something about it went kind of too far out of its form or something for me. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. We have been increasingly leaving the office, have we or not? We've been to Chili's, we've been to Hooters, we've been to the warehouse, we've been to corporate, we've been to... The ship. The ship? Have we been to Michael's home? We have not. I don't Wait, think... yeah, we have. He the bought condo. the condo. Yeah, yeah, the condo. Yeah, we have. Um, anywhere else? Are we forgetting anything else? Mm, I don't think so. Because you're, you, and now that you say it, I'm like, I do think the episode is kind of weirdly paced. And mm -hmm. it's like, uh, like I think, for example, like the plot where he tells them they're getting a raise, like it ends up not really being a, an issue or a plot, you know? And then it's like, yeah. oh, everybody into the conference room. Now we're going to give speeches, but no, nobody really does. It becomes about Jim taking the vacation, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then they just suddenly are at this, hotel or whatever and whereas those other episodes tend to be we go there at the beginning and sort of spend the 20 minutes on the boat or something like that so it's like it feels different whereas this this is a strange yeah and we don't see Dwight really interact with any of the people at the convention which would could be interesting there would be all kinds of stuff to do there so yeah yeah maybe that's part of it is that there's these long expanses of very little interaction where it's just Michael speaking. And then there's this. So one part that I felt like was the cringe feeling, but in a way that I found funny and that I enjoy is when Michael says it like, you know, it's kind of cutting back and forth and we go to him. We don't, apparently he started taking questions from the crowd, I think. Oh. Because he's talking to somebody. And this is when he says, I'm very sorry. I did not know you were wearing a hearing aid. And I just thought you were speaking up normally. <laughs> so that's one of those uncomfortable, but that I can live with. And that I think is funny. Um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, but so there's very, between his semi-speech and Dwight's speech, it's kind of just sitting and watching speeches. I wonder if it's a little bit like basketball is for you, where you felt like yeah. there's a lot of playing basketball. And I think I felt there's a lot of being on stage and giving speeches here. It's true. And they, they cut back and forth between Dwight's speech, at least one, and then Michael's speech. But cutting back and forth between not much else interesting going on. Like, I think the Jim Pam thing is really badly written in this episode, actually. Like, mm -hmm. I don't... I don't like 
I guess Pam knows at this point that, um, does she know that he's annoyed at her planning the wedding or not? Like, I can't tell. She, she seems- definitely knows. I don't know if she perceives it as him being annoyed or him being uncomfortable or him just having feelings about it because you can definitely tell though as soon as um at the beginning phyllis comes into the kitchen and mentions the wedding dress and then jim is sitting there so pam's kind of like oh, i'll show it to you later mm-hmm. and then in her interview she talks about it being potentially kind of awkward so there's definitely tension there although i don't know quite how she's perceiving it on his end yeah and like it doesn't really build to anything in an interesting way like for example in the later scene when he basically says to the entire um office oh i'm gonna go on a trip we don't see pam be like oh really like it doesn't it doesn't lead to some developing conversation between them and so when he tells her at the end oh yeah I'm, i finally decided but oh by the way it's like when your wedding is it, it just feels so it feels like they had that idea and wrote backwards to be like, okay, well, how can we pepper this in to get mm. to a moment where Jim is going to reveal he's not going to be around? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It didn't. It didn't have moments for them to do much or shine. Um, so yeah, yeah, I did same same with the uh, thermostat thing. Like it didn't really pay off in any way, but other than to say to sort of show us each of their personalities, I guess. Oscar like wants to be in control and cool and Angela changes it right isn't she the one changing it and um, yeah she's turning it up warmer and then Kevin is always turning it to 69 yeah so here's my question for you the thermostat who do you most relate to like which of those people are you are you an Oscar are you an Angela or are you a Kevin okay here's the thing there are certain you know that you know how people say uh, X like lives in my head rent free. You know that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you live in my head rent free at a few <laughs> occasions and like on a daily basis, essentially. And so one of them is anytime I am looking at or using a sponge, because listeners may not know that like Megan has very specific uh, requirements around sponge use, and I have to admit. I feel like I learned something as an adult from her when we were living together. And it was like, Hey, have you ever replaced this sponge? And it was like, <laughs> Oh no. And you're like, have you ever wrung it out? And I'm like, I haven't, you know? So that was good for me to learn. But so whenever I look at a sponge, I think of you, but the other thing is I, I can't remember the context, but I just remember you telling me once how annoyed you are that you have to pay for like heat. And then <laughs> you were like, and I was like, Oh, like, what do you keep it at in the winter or something? And I think you said something like 62 or some insane number. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to tell you how warm or cool it is. So, so literally when Jen and I like change the thermostat sometimes, I'm always like, I wonder what Megan's is at right now. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, you should start texting me when you're doing that. <laughs> Providing some feedback. <laughs> I got to say though, I well, I wouldn't put it at 69 because it's like 69. But that's about, that's a temperature I can get behind. I like, I mean, okay. I would prefer in our house, like a, you know, it's it, it's cool enough as it is. So I think right now we're at like a 73 or whatever, you know, sometimes yeah, I want perfect. a 74 on a, when it's raining out, sometimes a 73 when it's, you know, real hot and sweaty, but I got to sleep cool, Megan. 
<laughs> but I got to tell you, I am always cold. So I, in the winter, I am always like, can we make it hotter in here? I'm wearing sweatpants. I'm wearing sweaters. I'm anyway, where are you? Okay. Where, what's your step politics? Yeah, I am, I guess. So I would say personality wise here, I feel like I'm an Oscar. <laughs> I feel like I do like the efficiency of a cooler temperature. I love to get <laughs> a sweatshirt. However, my feeling about it is that it's just this just paying a lot of money for air that ultimately just seeps all out into the world anyway. And so I don't know, I've got this issue and it's probably from my parents always being like that. So it was cold in the winter and it was hot in the summer. And I will confess this summer so far, my place has gotten to 91 degrees. What? <laughs> But it wasn't that humid. It was a little breezy. So windows open, it didn't feel that bad. But it's like you've sort of made almost a game out of it now so that it feels like giving up. (laughs) Or the first time if I put on air conditioning, it feels like I'm surrendering this mental game that I'm playing in my head. And so there's a lot going on for me. (laughs) I love this. This is what I, this is, these are the moments that I live for in this podcast when I really get to discover who you are in new ways. And you're an insane person because 91 (laughs) degrees, that's like (laughs) migraine weather for me. You know, I like, I can't even, so when it gets to 77 in our house, I'm like, that's the max. Like I can't. And I'm like, we got to bump that down because I am. And I know, I know it's bad. I'm bad for the environment and I'm a bad person, (laughs) but I, you know, got to stay cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the self-righteousness there is of uh sweating it out in the summer for me <laughs> yeah. but that's what's also lovely about you is you're not that kind of person you're not you well, you might be like oh you weaklings but <laughs> but you're not like oh you you're like you know you have bad politics because you want to be cool <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should take more advantage of it though i should start like you know social media about it you should I have to say really quickly, though, this is a we'll come back to this, I'm sure sometime, but I have my own mental games around certain things. And one of the ones that I love to do that drives Jen insane is I really like to wait to the last possible minute to get gas. And I'm always like, yeah, I it I feel alive that way. Totally. <laughs> and when the light goes on, I like being like, well, all right, I, we, we've got this amount of time. Like what's going to happen? <laughs> I totally agree. That can, that can make you feel alive. Good times. All right. Well, Tyler, do you want to make one final argument for why this is a great episode before we get to our dundies? I think that it, um, I think that Dwight's speech as a like at that scene in particular but also jim's like prank and all of the kind of layers of it we talked about where it's like it seemed it could be a satirical about you know the american public it could be satirical about capitalism it could be satirical about you know the the workers who want to be inspired by things that are actually rather meaningless and and silly um just all these layers of satire or you know satire about politicians who read empty words who, that they don't write them et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. oh and how easily you know you can repurpose you know some political rhetoric 
for some and, and totally empty it out of any you know meaning. Um, all of that to me is kind of speaks to what makes the show's slacker mentality kind of interesting. Because I do think that a lot, it, when we talk about like, what are the politics of this show? I do think it tends to be a kind of cynical, like, um, you know, it, it's like cynical about work and workspaces and people that buy into it, which is why Dwight is kind of the villain in a way often, or the an antagonist, because he is the one who's most devoted to the authoritarianism of Thunder Mifflin or whatever, and it's in its greatness, um, just as such. Whereas Michael like is endearing because he <laughs> is a narcissist who wants attention. He doesn't actually really care that much about work. It just happens to be that he's like successful enough to not get fired. And so I feel like this episode brings that to the fore in a really interesting way. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and yeah, so, and those moments of satire, I, I enjoy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, that's I think about that it. that clarifies too, your, in the larger context of the show, your love for Dwight, because Dwight really is kind of an underdog of the office. And so yeah. this is, this is a, a high moment for her, for Dwight. And I think the show is making fun of people like Dwight to an mm -hmm. extent. And like the moments when I'm protective of him or I'm like, well, is it because he's like a, a, a socially inept geek you know mm -hmm. and those moments i find myself endeared to him and then on the other hand it's like oh is it because he's like an authoritarian reactionary and then obviously i'm like yeah let's make fun of this guy and and uh, <laughs> and then in a moment where those two things increasingly converge i'm like you know it feels he's just interesting to me um but yeah. i'm worried about as the show goes on and he becomes more like humanized how that will play out but anyway hmm. Do you want to make a last case about why this is trash? <laughs> My closing arguments. Yeah. Well, I'll say, I think one thing that I'm seeing in what you're saying too, is that like, so Dwight loves, I think the way that Jim puts it is very right. He loves authority. And so I think that there's that, the kind of structure, almost like the shell of authoritarianism that he does really like. But the thing that makes him less threatening is that he has no content in it. Like there's no, there's no particular specific ideology, I guess, within it that he's advocating. He just really likes the style of authority, which maybe just makes it even more dangerous because, you know, you can attach it to anything. But I also think it does make him a really interesting character and, um, I guess I'll say, I don't want to make a closing argument against this. I think what I will say is that you haven't convinced me that I love watching this episode, right, but right. you have convinced me that I would really love to read an essay that you wrote about this. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take that. Because I'll say this, it is like, I like it way better through your analysis than through just the thing itself. And I would never have gotten there. So you can go ahead and write that essay and I will read it. Now, what I'm really curious about, I felt like earlier you tipped your hand about your Dundee, really? um, but, but maybe not, I'm not sure. So, um, so uh, yeah, I'm curious where you're gonna go. Who is your Dundee of the episode? Tyler, for the first time, I have decided not to give out a Dundee. What? 
No, sometimes you cheapen an award by just giving it out because you have to give it. I didn't feel like it was earned by anything other than Michael's cabinet, but I didn't really feel like Michael himself deserved it. <laughs> Maybe the writers or whoever did. Can I give it to someone outside of the show? Sort of. Sure. Yeah, we can do whatever. We make up our own rules here. We do make up our own rules. I don't know how I feel about breaking this rule. So I'm going to give this. I'm going to say I am not giving out an official Dundee, but I would like to give an honorable mention to whoever came up with the stuff that was going to be in Michael's cabinet. Love that. That was a definite high point for me. Tyler, you're Dundee. We know you've got one. Well, I really thought you were going to give it to Michael for helping out Dwight. And I was, (laughs) I thought that that was an interesting reading. I was going to go the reverse way and give it to Jim but I, oh. I feel that I can't because he, while he does ultimately enable Dwight to succeed in giving a success, in, in giving a speech that people ad- admire or whatever, um, he didn't intend for that, I don't think. And um, so he had bad, you know, bad intentions going into it. And it was just um, happenstance that it worked out. I want to give it to Dwight um, for confronting his fears and overcoming adversity public speaking is intimidating and it was interesting to see him be vulnerable um but i'm not i'm not giving it to him i'm giving it to someone else um someone who it's a very brief moment but i feel is uh deserving because they um thought of others before themselves when in the brief moment, they thought they had a thousand dollars. So, to Stanley, the generosity <laughs> award for telling uh, Terry, or yeah, for telling whoever, get the wallpaper, wallpaper the ceiling if you want. Call Terry and tell her she, and that's all we get. So, um, I just love, and he's so happy. He's like, yeah, let's get that wallpaper. Uh, he's wow. so excited about it. So, wow, um, that that's a great selection. Very solid. <laughs> So congratulations, Stanley. Although, unfortunately, you won't have the wallpaper because there was no money. Um, Dundee's a good consolation prize. Tyler, what have we got coming up next? A next episode, Take Your Daughter to Work Day. Oh, I can only imagine. (laughs) All right. Well, daughter in this show? Stanley? You're going to find out. But yep, hint, Stanley is one. We're going to get a little more on Stanley's family. All right. And some other families. This is going to be fascinating. Yes. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.